Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our holiday show here on The Wonderful World of Wine. Mark and I are excited to talk to our old friend and Italian wine specialist, Ciro Pironi. Ciro, how are you? I'm doing great, Kim. Thank you. And thanks to Mark for having me. Ciro, great to have you on the show. We've we've always talked with amongst ourselves here, Kim and I. You are the man for Italian wine, and the holidays are here. And we figured you were the guy we need our listeners to hear from to get them through the holidays with pairing food and wine. So I'm excited to finally talk with you, Chiro. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, uh, guys. And uh, very excited about the time of the year. And I love Christmas. I love all the foods that uh, come with it. And obviously the wine pairings might as well be more traditional or might as well be some new experiments. And uh, definitely looking forward to share with you guys. Well, we're always excited to talk about food and talk about wine. And <laughs> and it's always fun to have a friend on the show for our listeners who uh, are not familiar with Ciro. He is a native Italian. He is an Italian wine scholar and one of our go-to guides for Italian wine. He's the Italian wine director at Horizon Beverage. And he and I have been colleagues and friends for, for quite a few years uh, from back in the day when I was just starting in the business. And uh, Ciro, do you want to give a little bit of your background to people so that they have a little bit of an idea of where you're coming from and, and why they should listen to you about wine? Yeah. No, th- thank you for the intro. And uh, yes, I'm, uh, my name is Ciro Pirone, and I'm from um, originally from Salerno, which is a um, nice smaller city, uh, if you will, located in uh, southern Italy, to be more exact, in Campania, which is a region of southern Italy, and uh, more specifically, about 45 minutes south of Naples, which is the bigger city. And as a point of reference, obviously, the Amalfi Coast, many people might be familiar with and used to be really my backyard once upon a time. And when I was in Salerno, I studied hospitality at the Instituto Alberghiero in Salerno, which is the Hospitality Institute. And uh, from then, I basically started traveling during summer months when I was still in school, traveling to Sardinia or other areas of Italy where they become very touristy and popular during the summer months. And then sometimes in the winter, I would go work on the Italian Alps, obviously being very important ski areas and whatnot. And then uh, as I completed my studies, eventually I started traveling a little bit here and there. I went to London first and foremost, both to learn English as well as you know experience something beyond the Italian boundaries. And, you know, I obviously I enjoyed the industry. I enjoyed learning, meeting a lot of different people all over the place. And uh, finally, uh, in 1999, I landed here in uh, Boston. And uh, that's where I've been since. And uh, I always working in hotels and restaurants until 2007, uh, which is when I started working for Horizon Beverage, which is a, a wholesaler here in, uh, in Massachusetts and also, you know, Rhode Island and previously New Hampshire. And practically my background is um, all been food and wine and specifically Italian wines. And that's what uh, I've been trying to, you know, specialize myself uh, 
um, working for Horizon Beverage, obviously representing not only Italian culture and traditions when it comes to food and wine, but also our Italian portfolio, doing a, you know, a variety of different activities, might as well be events, wine dinners, educational stuff obviously day-to-day sales for what we do in our industry. And it's been great. And now I've been 16 years and um, obviously I'm committed to the industry. I try to continue and educate myself as well. Uh, I think it's important. And uh, obviously Italian wines are a big part of my daily life. And I love uh, talking about that um, as you guys are as well. So I appreciate the opportunity. Some of our longtime listeners and members of Mark's Wine Club might remember a and wine pairing event that we did many years ago <laughs> yeah. above Mark's store. Uh, I remember that very well, and it was a blast. And <laughs> you have very um, strong opinions <laughs> about pizza here in the States. And it was just a great conversations that we had that night. Uh, you know, I stem from my Neapolitan grandmother's core, where she was always known in the neighborhood for being a uh, in- you know, somebody that never lied, always spoke her mind. And uh, sometimes you might make some enemies by doing that. But I try to stay truth to what I believe certain things might be when it comes to pizza, especially, as you <laughs> know, in, uh, you know, really uh, one of the most characteristic foods of Campania and Salerno and Naples. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I got to speak my mind. That's all. That's right. Stay true to Nona. True. <laughs> First, let's start out. I want to talk about Christmas Eve and the tradition of the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And I'm curious your take on it. Talk to Kim about this in depth, and she does celebrate this. And I'm curious, is this something that is big in Italy? And is this something you do now? Yeah, so there's a couple of different uh, ways to look at this, where for me, growing up in southern Italy, obviously we... Christmas Eve, which is the biggest day, probably even bigger than Christmas Day itself, not just for the food part, although the food part's always been huge, but also waiting that Santa would arrive at midnight and then go to Mass and all that. And for us in Southern Italy, it's all about seafood. So Christmas Eve was always the big day where you would have seafood, 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 seafood in every possible preparation. And obviously different types of seafood being in the Mediterranean, you have a huge variety of, might as well be shellfish, might as well be different types of fishes, and again, prepared in different ways. But if you ask the same question to somebody from the northern part of Italy, uh, it's not necessarily the case. They have different cuisine, uh, they don't necessarily do seafood uh, the whole way. That's interesting because then you come here in the United States and uh, you hear a lot, comes this time of the year, about the Feast of Seven Fishes. One thing I have to say, in, in Italy, we never had necessarily seven fish preparations or seven fishes. There was not an exact number. I did a little bit of research to find out that supposedly the seven comes from uh, the number of um, the seven. Oh, uh, seven sacraments. The seven sacraments, exactly. So supposedly it's where the number seven comes from. But that being said, like I said, we never did such a number, but ultimately Yes, because in southern Italy, the coastline, it's very important. You have a lot of seafood. Uh, For us, you know, obviously, when it comes to seafood, bacala, which is the salted codfish, where basically, um, as the tradition goes, it would be caught at at a certain time of the year. And then eventually, before refrigeration was available, before anything like that, be preserved by basically packing the fish after it was filleted and obviously gutted, would be packed with salt. So salt would basically dehydrate the fish, take all the moisture and water out, and the fish could be hung for a very, very long period of times. 
And then came the time of uh, preparing the fish. Obviously, you have to soak the fish for literally like sometimes three to four days, changing Mm -hmm. the water a couple of times a day, because again, you got to take away all that salt and saltiness from the fish and also rehydrate the fish. And eventually from this like kind of like skinny dried out piece of, uh, you know, filet of fish, you get this beautiful filet, which really rises up to become sometimes a couple of inches high. And um, and that's something that it's uh, huge because we would do it Sometimes it's just like floured and fried. Sometimes in tomato preparations, we'd also do a salad with it with nice, beautiful green olives, a squeeze of lemon, and extra virgin olive oil, fresh parsley, very simply. So bacala, anyway, has always been a huge, huge part of the feast of the fish, if you will, at our table. And as a matter of fact, I still do go buy it in local places here, you know, around the South Shore and make it, you know, um, here at home. Then with that, obviously, we have a lots of, you know, mussels, as well be clams, razor clams, obviously uh, shrimp, fresh anchovies, uh, which would be prepared in in a variety of ways. But for us, uh, first and foremost, you always have an antipasto, which is, uh, you know, seafood antipasto. Could be an octopus salad, could be shrimp salad. Uh, Then pasta becomes, uh, being Italian, obviously, is always a big part of our meal. And usually you would have a pasta with uh, either a saute of shellfish, which, again, we just don't have clams and mussels, but we have a variety of those might as well be razor clams might as well be telline which is a kind of a very sweet uh, tiny type of shellfish found, found commonly in the mediterranean sea or we have another type of shellfish which is quite delicious it's called datteri which means dates just like the dry fruits uh, because the shells actually have the same shape and same color the, of the dry dates if you look at them and they're very succulent and very delicious and then you mo- we move on to basically a couple more uh, preparation um for entree if you will where you could have uh, like i said the bacala in different ways then you typically have a fritto misto which is a mixed fried uh, seafood uh, preparation where you would have you know calamari shrimp sometimes cuttlefish and a a piece of bacala and you just nice squeeze of lemon to kind of freshen up the fried quality of the the preparation then obviously dessert wouldn't be fish in that case (laughs) (laughs) yeah that wouldn't be the uh, we do love fish but not uh, not 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 that much so here, obviously, as I uh, got married and uh, my wife's family, Christmas Eve was never really a big deal. For them, it was always like Christmas Day. And eventually, being a family and getting children, and as the kids got older, and we had our own house, bigger space and whatnot, that was a big thing for me personally that I wanted to introduce because I wanted to bring back this obviously beautiful memory of growing up and having the family together on Christmas Eve. And finally, I was able to do it a few years ago. And since every Christmas Eve, we invite everybody to our house and uh, I cook for everybody and I try to make um, as much as possible seafood, knowing that the the selections are a bit more limiting here. But that being said, I I try to carry on that tradition, which I dearly love. Some some years I might introduce a little bit of meat too, just because you want to change it up. You don't want to get too boring with cooking, which is is very exciting to me but the I do do uh, quite a bit of a spread of different uh, fish dishes and I serve them in different courses because I believe uh, also that I should be served depending on, upon what it is obviously but should be served warm you know fish and be cooked and just left there to hang out for 40 <laughs> minutes before you eat it and uh, yeah so it's been a wonderful thing and uh, everybody's been loving it 
And uh, so we'll continue to do it. And actually, during we were talking about this last night, but uh, over the next couple of days, I'll be doing a little bit of research because, you know, I love to bring back the tradition of doing spaghetti with clams, you know, spaghetti alle vongole, uh, very simply, obviously. But I also want to introduce something that is a little bit more flair. So this year I might also do a um, pasta e fagioli con le cozze, which is uh, pasta e fagioli, obviously the very famous traditional Neapolitan dish. Uh, but we do a, a preparation with mussels, which are part of the dish. So it kind of involves a little bit the sea and a little bit the land. becomes very hearty, has got a little bit of salty quality from the mussels, but still has that kind of a sticky quality of a nice thick pasta fagioli. So we'll see. Everything gets up for grab at this point, but uh, excited for the um, Christmas Eve coming. Usually I start early in the morning. And, uh, and we, I have to say that, yes, obviously the Feast of Seven Fishes and all fish and whatnot, but I think sides uh, usually also are you in, in Southern Italy anyhow. Sides are very, very relevant, a huge part of that meal. That sounds like a ton of food. And now I have to kind of go back, Chiro, because I picked Kim's brain. She does this celebration and she mentioned a lot of what you said you have. She So has. many similarities. So, I'm yeah. like chomping at the bit to talk so, about it. <laughs> here's my question to both of you now. So do you just have one wine for the whole night, one style, or what do you each pair with that? on that night. I have a whole bunch of stuff. It's my husband's family that this is the tradition that they do. My family does it a little bit now, but I didn't grow up with it. So I was really only introduced to this tradition when I married into their family, but they go gung-ho every single year for all of this stuff. I love that you started with the bacala, Chiro, because that is like my husband's number one thing that he looks forward to on Christmas Eve. <laughs> like You have to have the bacala. And my in-laws spend, you're right, it's like three days getting this thing ready. Right. And the way that that I tend to handle wine at family holidays is I just bring a whole selection of stuff and open a few things and let people sort of graze through what wine they want to drink with what food. I'll give some people some pointers, but I generally let it be almost like the wine buffet, like have some of this and then have some of this. Uh, but I, tr I do try to do some things that I know are going to go well with a variety of foods. What do you do with the salted fish, Kim? Do you is there something you like? Um, our family makes the so we shred it after it's been rehydrated and you know had all that salt removed from it, and then we mix it almost with like a batter and make um, like little fritters out of it, and like what little do you fried cakes, with? something what white, you, Italian, right? I usually bring Italian mm -hmm. for Christmas Eve. Absolutely. So, so I would do I don't know a whole variety of of different things. Depends sure. on the so there, there are so many Italian whites that do have this like salinity thing going on. Is that something you recommend when you're doing that? Uh, yes, obviously, you know, uh, it's always great to think about the uh, wine and food pairing and it's exciting. But as Kim also mentioned, um, it, obviously for me, yes, everything is Italian. I do not own uh, one single bottle of non-Italian wine. Um <laughs> But but that aside is the fact that um, because it's a lot of seafood, because it's, um, like you said, might as well be the bacala fritters or might as well be, like I said, the shellfish or octopus, uh, seafood salad and whatnot. Ideally, yes, this kind of a briny, slightly savory, salty wines and might as well be a nice verdicchio from Marche or obviously from Campania. We have beautiful things like Fiano di Avellino, Falangina. 
but also Sicilian white. I think many, many things can be a great accompaniment, like a good grillo, if you will. But I also realize that it's hard because not only you cannot serve just white wines, because some people like to have red, it doesn't matter what you're eating. And I get it. So I end up actually a few years ago, because my wife does a as I decide the menu, the three or four courses, whatever we're going to do, uh, she she puts together uh, on a computer a little actual menu that, that we put on the table. So, you know, it becomes a fun thing to do. And a few years ago, we actually used to list uh, a couple of wines that would be the wines we would be uh, serving. And then, you know, I realized, you know what, might as well be, be an open field, knowing that people are going to like a little bit of everything. Ultimately, yes, as far as the, I think the best pairing, understandably, white wines, are number one and white wines as you both know italian wines you can go in many different directions because you can go from the lighter style crisp very fragrant uh, high acid whites to definitely things that tend to change direction and become more full-bodied more important on the palate uh, good minerality but also good structure but ultimately also some lighter style reds you know when you think about things um, maybe not from my neck of the woods you know like uh, schiava from alto adige or uh, uh, you know, also lighter style Valpolicella or Etna, obviously, which are very exciting wines that have this kind of a, a volcanic element, but also herbaceous and uh, slightly salty. So, you know, you can really... Uh, have I opened Amarone and Brunello before? Uh, yes, I'm not going to say no, just because I know some people are going to appreciate it. And so might as well share. That's the time of the year to do it. But I do think that obviously Italian wines, they offer an incredible amount of uh, not only diversity, but also opportunity to match uh, the food and wine. And especially comes on Christmas Eve with so much variety of seafood at the table. I'm glad you mentioned some red wines there. What was the local red wine that you had from Campania that you would pair with fish? Uh, well, I would say Campania, it's a bit uh, tough just because uh, obviously Ianico is the main grape red and uh, it's a, definitely more on the tannin side, so probably not ideal. Uh, but there are some reds uh, maybe from the, uh, you know, Amalfi Coast area, which they tend to be more lighter style reds and uh, they can be, they can do a nice job. But I think when you think about Campania reds, for the most part, you think about more like a hardy red wines because obviously come from the inland part of Campania, uh, the mountains, the Arpinia region, where the cuisine tends to be a bit more like a red sauce and uh, pork preparations. So I would definitely go more into other regions if I have to select uh, some red, lighter style red wines that can be a good pairing with um, seafood cuisine anyhow. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, you can go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, you can go to franklinliquors.com. Today is our holiday episode, and we're so happy to have our guest, Chiro Perone from Horizon Beverage, Italian wine director and the expert in our area on Italian wine. And if you want to find him, you can get him on Instagram at Davino Boston. And we're also on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. Happy holidays to everybody. So exciting to have Chiro here today. We talked about uh, things for Christmas Eve and the Feast of the Seven Fishers. Uh, and uh, Kim and uh, Chiro celebrate that. And I just usually have wine on Christmas Eve. So 
Um, <laughs> I'm not a big seafood guy. But next year, I, I want to talk about pasta dishes because I saw a stat that said something like there's 350 different types of pasta. And I thought it was interesting earlier, you mentioned how people in different areas of Italy have different traditions and different foods. And it also goes with wine grapes. Like this, how many official Italian wine grapes now, Chiro? Uh, well, registered, they're roughly 600. But although there's many more which are not registered because there isn't been enough uh, uh, research to say that there actually are other grapes rather than being just a biotype, one of the already registered grapes, but currently rough, roughly around 600. So 600 different grapes and 350 different pastas. So hmm. what is the key when pairing pasta and wine? Is it the sauce or the weight of the dish? Or what is your opinion on pairing wine with pasta? Well, what you mentioned about the 350 types of pasta and obviously the 600 something grapes, and that could go, the, that list could go on endlessly when it comes to apples and tomatoes and pears and all sorts of vegetables and salads and radicchio and whatnot. And that really goes a long way to speak uh, about the biodiversity of Italy, which is really something that, which is amazing, probably the biggest biodiversity of any country in the world, which obviously, ultimately, the different grains will give you different types of pasta made in different ways. But what you refer to specifically is obviously the different shapes of pasta, uh, because Italians, we're so like, probably crazily or madly in love with pasta that uh, you have to have a specific shape for specific pasta preparations. And it really makes me think about when I talk to my parents, because, um, you know, I talk to them almost daily. I'm driving somewhere. I call them and you know, I'm like, oh, what did you cook today to my mom? Or what did you guys have? And she might say, I made uh, pasta and chickpeas or pasta and lentils, you know, something simple, traditional dish of the time. And uh, my dad, always in the background, is like, yeah, but she didn't use the right pasta. Like, here you go. Because, again, for certain pasta, like, you know, pasta and potatoes, for example, might be one of the most traditional peasant uh, dishes of the poor farmer tradition, which you had nothing. You just had pasta and potatoes. And really, it's one of the most wonderful and flavorful dishes you, you'll ever taste. But you need uh, this pasta called the pasta mista, which is basically a bag of pasta you can buy in stores. Also, find here, where instead of having one type of shape of pasta, you have a mix of like five, six different type of pasta. Obviously, they're going to be cooking at the same time. And uh, that's the type of traditional pasta used for that preparation. So that goes to say that basically for each recipe, might as well be, you know, spaghetti aglio olio in a very simple way, or might as well be like a trofie with pesto, which obviously trofie being another type of pasta, homemade kind of curly, or might as well be uh, fettuccine alla bolognese, or maybe lasagna somewhere else. Each recipe really requests its own uh, a variation of shape of pasta, if you will. And then within that world, obviously, not only we have the dry pasta, but as you know, there's also fresh pasta, there's egg-based pasta. So there's different, different things. Now, when it comes to my opinion, anyway, um, matching wine with pasta, I think it's all about the sauce, because ultimately, if you're just boiling pasta and put a little bit of olive oil, you know, it doesn't matter the shape, you're still going to have the same result for the most part, other than different texture in your mouth. But the sauce will definitely dictate 
what you're going to pair with. Because again, when it comes to pasta, it's really an incredibly diverse world of preparations. And I love pasta. I like to cook in different ways. When you think about pesto, right? You know, obviously you might make trofie or trenette, which is another local type of pasta. Very fresh sauce, just literally made with, you know, basically pine nuts, extra virgin olive oil, a clove of garlic, fresh basil, and basically 50-50 pretty much of parmigiano and pecorino. And then, you know, obviously you, you put it in a mortar, you squash it down, and then you toss it with pasta. That kind of preparation, you need a very lively, fresh, maybe pigato or vermentino from Liguria. But obviously when you're thinking about, like I said, a risotto alla pescatora, which is a seafood risotto that we make very commonly in Campania and other parts of southern Italy, maybe you do need a wine being a risotto. Yes, there's no butter. Yeah, there's no cheese in that case because it's seafood risotto. You want to taste the freshness of the dish and the kind of salty quality and the seafood element to it. Maybe you put a good Greco di Tufo, you know, a white wine that is almost like the structure of red wine with some also some tannins to it. Obviously, if you go to Emilia-Romagna and you have a Bolognese, now things start shifting very differently in a very different direction because there it's when you start needing a, maybe a good Sangiovese di Romagna. So something, you know, there's a good acidity, is going to freshen up the palate and is going to give you this uh, kind of cleansing quality that is necessary, especially when you have something like Bolognese. Uh, or ultimately, for example, if you're in the same region, you have Tortellini in Brodo. You know, Tortellini, obviously, we all know is the stuffed uh, pasta with um, locally they, they do with meat. Other times can be just with cheese or ricotta or pieces of ham, depending on what, uh, and sometimes just cooked in the, the classic local broth, almost like a vegetable broth, or sometimes it's like a chicken broth. So a very simple dish. And you can also have a nice uh, Lambrusco di Sorbara. So, you know, I think um, when it comes to pasta, because there are so many preparations with so many possible variables of ingredients and richness of the dish of very simple, clean, everyday dish, it just will marry pretty much every wine of the 600 varietals, um, as long as you do the right ingredients with the right um, dish and obviously paired up with the right wine. Well, I'm really hungry now <laughs> after listening to all of that. Yeah, it seems like Italian wine. What's the old saying? What grows together, grows together goes, goes together. together. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's yeah. like the perfect food wine. I, I always tell people when you're having food, this you can always find something from Italy that goes with the dish. And um, like Kim said, you just made us made us all hungry. You made the town proud because there's a lot of Italians here in Franklin, uh, Chiro. So I'm sure people are like Kim, mm-hmm. very hungry right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, my saying has always been uh, because uh, I see people, a lot of people love meat. I mean, I do enjoy it meat every once in a while but uh, i see people eating a lot of meat a lot of steaks a lot of stuff and i always tell my wife i'd rather have as a last wish a nice dish of pasta um because uh you know i think it's something that um i love cooking um always makes me feel like home it's also inexpensive really it kind of you know fills you up and uh, you know not only that ultimately it brings back great memories because for us growing up in Italy myself and especially Southern Italian even today obviously I don't live there for 24 years now but my dad every single day he has 
uh, for lunch any, anyway, he has pasta as one of the courses. So it's always, it's really embedded in our DNA. I don't need it as much anymore because obviously, as you guys know here, our main meal is dinner. So obviously you want to have a variation of the fish and meat and this and that. But I do still incorporate pasta quite a bit in our diet. And I try to also cook it a lot for the kids, make sure they appreciate it. And uh, they seem to so far. So we'll see if it changes. <laughs> But it's definitely a, a good ride. I've never heard of kids growing out of a love of pasta. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, I mean, when my daughter was uh, and she, uh, she was in, in um, daycare, I can't remember what age specifically it was. I think my wife was out of town and uh, I had made the night before uh, pasta with um, clams, right? And uh, the morning after, my mother in law was excited to leave out early for work. And my mother in law was here to bring to school. And I left everything there ready for her to, you know, for, for the lunch. And uh, I sent her to school with the pasta with clams. And, How'd that go um, over? <laughs> I, I definitely went over well with her. She loved it because she loves clams and mussels mm-hmm. and all that. I'm not sure what other people thought, but it didn't really matter to me, to be honest. I think that's a a typical story that you hear of people who are from immigrant families and you send whatever your traditional food is, you know, for school lunches. And uh, sometimes you get some strange looks. My son also really, really likes shellfish and clams and things. And even when he was really little, he would order spaghetti olive anglais at a restaurant and he was like six years old. (laughs) He always got some interesting looks like, really, you're going to eat that? And he's like, yeah, I love this. <laughs> yeah, your children are very adventurous. My my kids are very good eaters. Yes, they yeah. love their food. They, I think it's important too. And especially like all this stuff you've been talking about, about it's so much of the food that you're cooking is tied back to your memories of childhood. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing those kinds of stories from people because that idea of food and flavor and aromas and all of those being tied to memory and good feelings and happy childhood days is just, it's a wonderful thing to be able to pass down to the next generation and be like, look, these are the things that I ate when I was a kid. I'm bringing them here to you. And to see our kids enjoying them, that has been one of the best things about parenthood is passing on those things to my kids. Yeah, I'm curious from both of you, like when I grew up in an Italian home, we had pasta all the time. Like every meal, I mean, Thanksgiving was turkey and pasta, you know, <laughs> it's pasta, pasta. But I never noticed, only when I got a lot older that I noticed my dad had like the traditional Chianti or something on the table. I never really noticed the wine. And I'm curious when you two were growing up, I know, Kim, you also had pasta, right? A lot with the meals. Did we had a lot notice, of pasta. Did we you were not wine on the table? We were and... not a, a drinking family. We, I did not grow up with wine on the table. So we were one of those, yeah, we were more New Englanders than we were (laughs) second or third generation Italians. We did eat a lot of quote unquote Italian food, but it was a lot more Americanized Italian food for my family. Yeah. My husband's family, on the other hand, was much more traditional. And I don't know why, if it was Boston Italians versus New York, New Jersey Italians, but for some reason, our family down there really held on to food tradition traditions a lot more than our family. I do remember my dad a lot, like to rub wine on the kids' lips when they were young for some reason. <laughs> you know, is that an Italian thing, Chiro, where the Italians like rubbing wine? <laughs> um, well, you see, wine is not, in our um, culture anyway, um, it's not just a, an, an alcoholic beverage or, or just a beverage 
that you enjoy, you know, just to get drunk or when you're having fun or something like that. It's always been a, a beverage of the tradition, but more than that, obviously a part of your diet, especially you yeah. know, several decades past. Um, and uh, so the people, families never looked at it. Some things like, oh my God, don't have any because one day you might become an alcoholic or something crazy. I mean, in, in our family, my we, there's always wine on the table. My dad really having a glass, he, he would have a glass of wine with lunch, glass of wine with dinner. That was it. It was not like a, never any exaggeration in any form or shape. My mom never really drank. I mean, she would have literally like, you know, and the glass is we used were obviously the tumblers, you know, those kind of glasses at the glass. And she would have a, a little bit. I remember my grandmother, my father's mom, when she lived with us, um, she would have a little bit of wine, but especially in the summer months, she would, uh, interesting enough, mix it with the Sprite. The reason being because she never really loved the, the dry, sometimes wine being too dry. Maybe in the summer it was hot. And so you want something a little sweeter, who knows? And that was the case. When it comes to us, I mean, my dad always, uh, from what I remember, obviously when I remember, my dad always offered, he's like, listen, have a sip of wine. If you want to try, it's there. Knowing that it would never be something I would go out and try to drink uh, a lot of it or anything. I Honestly, I personally was never very much interested in um, the reason being because we drank water all the time when it was a birthday party or some sort of celebration. Obviously, the 1.5 liter or 2 liter of Coca-Cola and Fanta would show up, um, but that was the only time. So never really had an acquired taste for especially wine, which would be something dry. And when it comes to my memories, especially wine, it would be my father would go to the local store and buy the Demijohn, you know, the 5 liter Demijohn of the local wine. That was really the case at the time, which I feel like if it happened today, in most cases would be a quite uh, oxidized vinegar wine, you know, because uh, <laughs> usually it takes you a while, especially when one person drinking is five liters. And by the time you're finishing that Demijohn, it becomes, you know, uh, quite vinegary and oxidized. And then, you know, comes holidays, especially Christmas Eve, but New Year's Eve, another big uh, celebration, uh, families and gatherings and whatnot. Obviously, there would be a bit more of a a bottled wine and especially when it comes to the sparkling you know spumante was always a big deal some of the sweeter versions um, of the asti spumante because again at the end of a meal with the uh, panettone or pandoro you know the classic uh, dessert cakes that you can buy also here very commonly these days uh, you have a glass of that also because it's celebratory or some people might have had something a bit more important uh, like the francia corta trento doc if you like something a bit drier obviously prosecco wasn't a thing way back way back then and you would have uh, a glass of sparkling and also another very actually interesting as you mentioned dish and thing that still existing a lot of time ago and still carries on today and it's specifically prepared not on Christmas Eve but actually New Year's is called uh, zampone lenticchia which is basically this um, sausage that is cooked with lentils because lentils uh, in our culture is meant to bring uh, good luck and money so every New Year's Eve, you eat this dish. At the end, basically, you wait the midnight after you had your own meal and, and all that. You wait the midnight, and as people celebrate the New Year's coming, you have a, a couple of spoonfuls of lentils with a little bit of this uh, zampone, which is a sausage cooked in the lentils, so it's quite tender. And uh, the hope is that those lentils turn into money for the New Year. At least you hope. Never happened, but again, you keep the, tra the tradition is quite uh, fun. I might need to do that for my New Year's Eve party this year. 
Yeah. <laughs> and obviously that's a dish that uh, it marries quite well, uh, a variety of red wines, honestly, because the, ren- the lentils are hearty. Obviously there's the sausage in it. So that that's when you can play quite a bit with some more robust and interesting red wines. I Wonderful. have to tell you, I had such a hard time convincing my wife the pasta thing chair when we were first married and in, in to this day she finally puts pasta out with turkey on thanksgiving and, but she <laughs> my refused. family still fights about it <laughs> yeah she refused did you have that uh, situation with your wife Cheryl, where you had to uh kind of get her onto your traditions with the food or was she so let's put this way i would uh, love to bring some but we typically we don't do thanksgiving here because um it's I love the holiday. I love the family holiday. I don't uh, um, care too much for the meal itself, although I eat the turkey. Uh-huh. But and also having a family, she's one of four. So, you know, someone else, typically her brother used to be her dad way back then, but typically her brother is the one that hosts Thanksgiving. And we went there. Uh, this year as in the past years and he makes a roasted turkey and a, a fried turkey and then all the various sides and things like that and uh, I would like sometimes to shop with the dish of pasta but I refrain myself <laughs> also because I'm like they, they they're gonna be like oh here you go the Italian has to bring pasta even on Thanksgiving so usually we argue well, every year about lasagna on Thanksgiving yeah I don't even, honestly I don't even try the reason being because I feel like no matter what we show up at two, you have two and a half hours worth of appetizers. <laughs> well, so true. <laughs> usually I'm in charge of the antipasto. Again, it's like, you know, you go, yep. it's the Italian. That's, there's your Italian buy, thing. <laughs> yeah, let him buy his uh, prosciutto, salami, and variety of uh, cheeses and whatnot. And, you know, you stuff yourself with all these other things that are there. And then comes the time to eat and you have turkey and you have uh, mashed potatoes and you have uh, the vegetables and whatever else is there. And it's like, uh, even if there was pasta, I wouldn't be able to eat it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I save the pasta for Easter. So we have it on Christmas and we have it on Easter. Yeah. So Thanksgiving, I let it be the mm, traditional American holiday with traditional um, New England or American food. And I step out of the kitchen. And you bring the wine, right? The Obviously, job. that's a, that, that's a no-brainer. Um, sometimes, because again, we live in Weymouth there in Abington, literally like seven minutes away. Sometimes I get sent back for seconds. <laughs> so I the- need to figure out a way to incorporate lobster into our Christmas Eve Feast of the Seven Fishes. The only time I've hosted was during, uh, during COVID. So... <laughs> I don't have that one quite yet. I did it before. Obviously, it's uh, it's very nice. It's just uh, it's it's a lot of work because yeah. you know it doesn't matter how you prepare the lobsters. You gotta either you split them in half and saute them, or you boil them first, take the meat out, and then make a whatever a yeah. preparation. It's a lot of work just because yeah. you gotta shell all the lobsters, and it's uh, yeah. It's... Well, I figured to have a a little bit of a New England influence. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. clam chowder. Clam chowder might be a good one to uh, do instead. Yeah. yeah. Italian-American feast, right? Well, you know, you adapt. The the seven fishes is an Italian-American thing. And I wonder how much of that is because so many Italian immigrants to the U.S. are Southern Italians as opposed to Northern Italians. And, you know, if this was your tradition growing up where you grew up, you know, it was probably fairly common for a lot of other 
immigrant families from Italy over the course of the last 150 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, it's a very, very true where the Feast of Seven Fishes has become an Italian-American thing and some mm-hmm. of the families, not necessarily Italian-American, might abide to or enjoy doing because... Yes, a lot of um, Italians, or anyway, a few generations back Italians, they are from southern Italy, especially post-World uh, uh, War II, mm-hmm. and uh, rather northerners, uh, because, I mean, I, I have a bunch of friends here from uh, northern Italy, might as well be Bergamo or some other cities, and they tell me when we talk about it, it's like, you know, I, I didn't grow up, I mean, for us, besides for them, Christmas Eve, Number one wasn't as, as big of a celebration as it is in southern Italy. Christmas oh, Day, interesting. yeah, Christmas Day is more the celebration. Christmas Eve is almost like another day. You have dinner, maybe you go to church, obviously, and then you celebrate Christmas the, the day after. Uh, but for sure, the seafood part wasn't part of. Yeah, think about it. I mean, when you don't have uh, the sea necessarily nearby, yeah. uh, you know, you are in uh, Milano or you are in. Uh, you know, like somewhere by the Alps or in Piemonte or even in the heart of Italy, in Umbria or whatever, something like that, uh, fish is not the most readily available thing. So mm-hmm. they're going to have totally different preparations altogether. Piero, the last thing I had to ask you was, yeah. is there any Italian Christmas traditions that you don't see here in America? Uh, when it comes to... to uh, in general, it doesn't have to be food or wine, just anything... Anything with Santa Claus or Christmas trees? I mean, I'm just curious. In in Italy, is the things different or are they same at Christmas time as far as traditions? Uh, are there Christmas uh, trees in Italy? <laughs> I'm asking stupid questions, but I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Christmas tree, obviously. No, everything is the same. I mean, for the most part, is the same when it comes to you know, obviously, a time of the year that is well. Number one, for sure, the fact that. Italy being a, such a Catholic, uh, a Christian, you know, a religious country, having Rome and the Pope and this and that, there is more that element of the going to church and, you know, the religious aspect, um, aside from the gift giving and all this, the consumism, which is obviously very, very big everywhere in Italy as well these days. But that element is much bigger. Um, besides that, when it comes to obviously uh, the Christmas tree, uh, very big for us is, uh, which is probably one thing you don't see here much, at least as far as I know, the nativity set. We, yeah. we you know, we have a, a nativity set that is not just uh, the manger and uh, Joseph and Mary and uh, donkey and whatnot, but it's actually parents still today, obviously smaller than we used to do when we as a kids used to be there. Uh, they used to build an entire nativity set, which is you know, on, on a furniture and has the mountains and it's got the houses and all the, it's basically, it represents uh, Jerusalem at the time of the, the birth of Jesus. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a big part. Other than that, yeah, no, obviously Santa is the, is the same. Um, the one that travels around the world and gives gifts gift to everybody. Probably the thing that the, we, we have in Italy that is not here is past Christmas is actually on January 6th, which is the Epiphany. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because the epiphany not only being uh, obviously again because the religion very important but also the fact that for us uh, we we have uh, just as much as we have santa or babbo natale for christmas we have la befana which is basically an old lady that comes on the broom almost like a witch (laughs) to a certain degree that uh, brings uh, other gifts 
And uh, because obviously the Epiphany celebrates when the, you know, the three kings arrived, you know, um, to basically give the gifts to Jesus. And so obviously La Befana brings gifts, you know, in kind of a, in connection to that um, historical fact. And so that's why we have that, that is a thing that doesn't exist here, or at least the Epiphany is not celebrated anyway, mm-hmm. anyhow. Um, uh, but the rest is pretty much the same, you know, kids love gifts and uh, <laughs> uh, Christmas tree and we love to get, gather friends and family and enjoy, I think, a special time of the year that hopefully it's good for everybody. That sounds fun. We appreciate it. Jiro, it's been so good to have you on the show. And uh, I want to wish you and Kim a very happy holiday and Merry Christmas to all our listeners out there. And uh, we have to have you on again, Chiro, and we can talk more about Italy and Italian wines. There's so much to cover. Uh, we just had to have you on for the holiday this year. Thank you very much, Jiro. Uh, anytime. I thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kim. Um, great. Yeah, to- thank you for being on with us today. No, thank you for having me and spend some time together and get the chance to talk about, um, like I said, a great time of the year. And um, yes, um, Merry Christmas or Buon Natale to both of you and your families and obviously all the people listening. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can do it again. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark and Kim, and our special guest, Chiro Pirone, who you can find on Instagram at Divino Boston. We hope you have a happy holiday. Salute. Alla salute e buon Natale. Buon wine.